Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good, as it always is, to see you each and every Sunday morning. Uh, before we get into our study in Paul's letter to the Romans this morning, there's a couple things I want to let you know about. The first is a really important event that's just going to be coming up uh, on uh, 13 days from now, two weeks from yesterday. We're going to be having on Saturday the 27th at 9 in the morning uh, what we're calling a guest services rally. And this is just going to be a time for everyone who's serving in guest services ministry. That's a lot of you sitting in the room right now. Um, And everyone who would be interested in finding out more about how you can uh, welcome people to our family, how you can serve. There's just so many different areas. Uh, We want at Southwinds always to do our very, very best to love people and honor God by serving people, especially those who are our guests. We want to practice hospitality, welcome anyone who comes. And we're going to be talking about how we can do that better. And uh, there's going to be breakfast. Um, if you don't care about any of that, but you just want to eat, you can come. Um, if you want child care, we have that too. Um, uh, we need you to uh, register in advance for the child care. You can uh, email Pastor Chris Thielen and he will take care of that. Also answer any questions. So we hope as many of you as are able uh, will come and be part of that. And then uh, I also want to say uh, thank you to everyone who over the last number of weeks uh, gave very generously to our 2023 Southwinds uh, Christmas offering. Uh, you may remember we had a goal of 25000 and we have received uh, for that offering just under 31000 And so we're very, we're very grateful for that. Uh, we have already been able to ho- help some uh, local families who are going through some times of crisis, uh, as well as a start to giving su- support to some of our missionaries. And then we're going to be able to, to ser- uh, serve the other areas of that uh, offering uh, as we go through the year. We're resourced to do a lot more. And so I just want to say uh, to you personally, thank you uh, for your generosity. I'm uh, very grateful for how God is working in you. Well, if you don't have your Bibles open, I would encourage you to get them there to the book of Romans. Uh, we are taking uh, two weeks as we re-engage into our study through this book to uh, dig deeper into this uh, doctrine that I have told you a few times last fall and then last week is the most important doctrine that almost no one knows about. And that is the doctrine of our union with Christ. And if you've been here, you've heard me say several times over the last few months that union with Christ is what it means to be a Christian. That's what it tells us. It's absolutely central, this idea, this doctrine of understanding Uh, Paul and what he believes about following Jesus. And and Romans is one of the places where Paul talks most about this doctrine. Uh, Paul describes for us in several places in Romans how God is forging this relationship of profound belonging with his people in his son Jesus. And it's for God's glory and it's for our joy. And this, this relationship of deep and profound and personal belonging to God in Christ has been called over the centuries by most people union with Christ. And this is important for a number of reasons, but one of them is this. Many people tend to look at our faith and they they think of it as kind of this vast collection of these disconnected truths and topics and teachings. There's like the Trinity and there's the incarnation and 
And there's election and there's justification and there's adoption and there's sanctification and glorification and, 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 and redemption. And there's the attributes of God and there's the atonement of Christ. There's the, the doctrine of the supernatural work of God in the local church. And, and then you go on to all the personal implications of how these doctrines impact our lives, how we live and love and work, you know, in our marriages and in our parenting and in our singleness and how we forgive and how we love our neighbors, how we seek justice in, in our world. And, and the question, I think, comes at some point, we have to wonder, well, how do these all tie together? What is it that binds all of these together? And, and, and what I've been telling you is that the doctrine of our union with Christ is this this hub at the spoke, at the center of all the spokes of the wheel that unites all of these truths together. If you ask how that works, well, maybe think about it like this. Election, which we're going to talk about next week, by the way, preview of coming attractions, Romans 9, you'll want to be here for that. Election is God's gracious, sovereign choice uh, to unite his people to him in Jesus. Justification is about God's work of creating this union we have in Jesus. Sanctification is about personally growing inside this union in Jesus. And glorification, well, that's the goal at the end of all things of this union, that we would be glorified in Christ. And then something as, as tangible and real as marriage. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that marriage was created by God to point to this union of God uh, in his son Jesus with his people. Uh, spiritual disciplines that we are encouraged to practice all the time are, are the means we cultivate our communion uh, within this union with Jesus. And then the local church, what we're doing here today, for example, is, is meant to be this living, breathing display of the bride of Christ that, that Jesus has united himself to. And we could go on and on. You see, all of these massive relational truths, they connect together with union in Christ and they're all relational. And as we, we grasp them, uh, they make sense and they cohere. If we don't, if we don't grasp this, then these different doctrines kind of become untethered and they, they become disconnected. It's like disconnected constellation of truth, you know, rather than this vast panorama of relational truths that all orbit around our union with Christ. If you didn't get all that, let me put it like this. Union with Christ just connects everything uh, in the Christian faith, in the Christian life. It is the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And I'll put it this way, whether you've ever thought about it or not, specifically union with Christ is really what your life should be all about. And so today we've talked about some different aspects of this beautiful truth. Today we're going to focus on an aspect of union with Christ that I think many of us miss and here's what I want to say, and then I'm going to explain it. Not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in you. Christ is in you. And then if you ask this important question, but how, how are we in Christ? Well, the answer is, and here's the point, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is central to union with Christ. 
If you study the Bible, you'll find that God's word tells us that the Father unites us to his Son by the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, I understand that that statement is massive and it's complex and it raises a ton of questions. And we're not going to get to cover everything today, but we will do two things or three things. I'm, I'm going to explain for you as best I can some of the basics of what it means for Christ to, to be in us, that is for the Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers. And we're going to talk some about how the Holy Spirit's indwelling changes us. And then we're going to ask some questions that challenge us to help us discover uh, how we can live out our union with Christ. And we're going to do that from uh, the basis of the chapter in the Bible that talks more about union with Christ than any other, and that is Romans 8. And so if you're not there yet, that's where you need to get. Uh, you've heard me say that many believe uh, this is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. And there are three verses in particular, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, that I want to read. And they will help us uh, understand what it means uh, for us to be united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. So let's listen to the word of God. Beginning in verse 9, Romans 8, Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is the word of God and all God's people say. So let's start with the basics. First thing I want you to see is that Christ in you means the Holy Spirit indwells you. Christ in you means that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. So I want to just walk through these verses real carefully and show you what Paul is telling us. In verse 9, again, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And, and what Paul is talking about when he says the flesh, it's not, it's not our physical bodies. It's not skin and muscle and bones. Uh, it's a term the New Testament uses for life outside of Jesus. And Paul says, since we're in Jesus, we're not in the flesh. And he says that means if we're not in the flesh, we're in the spirit. Okay. So union with Christ means you are in Christ. It means Christ is in you. And the way Paul says that Jesus is in you right here is by the Holy Spirit. So let me just, let me just drill down on that. If you're in Jesus, if you know Jesus, that means by definition, Paul says, the Spirit is dwelling or literally, you might say living. The word is the word for house. You could say he's housing in you. The spirit of God dwells in you. And if you were noticing, you may have picked up on this when I read these verses. But one of the things they, these three verses show us in such clarity is the triune nature of God. Did you see that? That the living God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And so... When he's talking about the Spirit of God here, he's talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. 
He continues, he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And this alerts us to the importance of what he's talking about. In other words, if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. So don't listen to people who tell you you can have Jesus, but you got to get the spirit later. It's a package deal because they're the same God. You know, uh, they, they come together. Uh, verse 9, he calls the spirit, notice this, both the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. You might want to underline that. Did you see that? He, he's talking about the same spirit. He's using different names. And, and he's showing us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of God. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. And, and he's telling us that the, the spirit of Jesus or the presence of the spirit in us is the presence of Jesus in us. Or I could put it this way, Jesus lives within his people by the Spirit. So as we're talking about this thing, union with Christ, always understand that this happens through the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 continues, but if Christ is in you, and there it is again, Christ in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So who's the him? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. It's the father, right? So that's interesting. God the father. So the spirit is called the spirit of the father here. When in just the previous verse, Paul talked about the spirit of Christ. Again, the, the Trinitarian nature of God. And then he says, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you're counting, you may have seen four times in three verses. Paul says, the spirit dwells, lives within Jesus' people. That's how we are united to Christ. And so I've been telling you that union with Christ is what it means to be a Christian. But Paul is telling us here, and this is really the same thing. It's just a different way of saying it. Having the spirit within you is what it means to be a Christian. And that's why at the end of verse 90, he says, if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. You have to have the spirit. So central to union with Christ is understanding that the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ. And again, I want to back up. I want you to see how emphatic Paul is. If you got your Bible or your app, uh, uh, your Bible app open, notice verse 9, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 10, Christ is in you. Verse 11, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And then in verse 11 again, his Spirit dwells in you. Are you picking this up, what he's putting down here? He's trying to make it really clear that through faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in his people. And I want you just to stop for a moment because I know some of you are like my head's spinning and I don't get what this has to do with like anything. But I want you to think for a moment what this is telling us. God, the infinite eternal God, he does not have to dwell with his people, right? I mean, God can do anything. Who votes for God can do anything? We do theology by 
voting sometimes. See, we all agree with that. God can do whatever he wants. So God could have saved us from a million miles away, from a distance, right? He didn't have to get involved. But listen, God so desires to be with his people that in Christ, by the person of his own beloved son, he comes and he lives in us. Wow. Do you you see what this is talking about here? This isn't some dry intellectual doctrine. This is about life. This is about God. This is about God's love for us. This is about God's commitment to us. He loves us so much, committed to us so much. He comes and he dwells within us. Jesus is not just alongside us, but in us by his spirit. We are not only in him, he is also in us. And I know, I know this raises a lot of questions. You you just need to know there's a whole lot of stuff we're not going to be able to get to um, today. Uh, We're going to try to talk about some for a moment, but, but right now I just, I want you to allow, if you would, the, the truth and the goodness of this to just rest on your soul that the living God of the universe is not a distant deity. He's not some abstract equation way off there, somewhere out there. I don't know. He is a personal God who comes and he dwells within his people by the spirit. And and I know, again, it raises the question, well, how do I know? if I have the spirit of God in me. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but you should know this isn't the only place that, that Paul speaks about the spirit dwelling within Jesus' people. I'll just give you three examples to start. You can write them down, look them up later. First Corinthians three sixteen. Paul is talking to the church collectively in Corinth and he says to them, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God's spirit, south winds, dwells in you. That's what Paul is saying here. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul again speaking to the church in Corinth says, or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. See, this is, this is actually... The Holy Spirit's indwelling. It's how Jesus makes good on his promise that, that we go back to so many times at the very end of the gospel of Matthew when Jesus said before he left, ascended to the Father, he said, I'm gonna be with you always. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does it through his spirit who unites Jesus to us and he's always with us. And this isn't just in Paul. Again, a couple of little things to, to throw out for you to look at maybe later in John's gospel. Jesus said to his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you ever read that verse and you go, I don't know about that. I was even thinking about it this week. And I, I told the Lord, I said, I don't, 
I don't know sometimes if I really believe that. I kind of think I'd rather have Jesus right here. You thought that too, right? But Jesus himself said, no, it's better if I go away. It's better if I become united to you by my Holy Spirit, the helper who's going to come to you, that I'm going to send to you. So why would it be our advantage if he goes away? And, and, and the advantage is that Jesus is no longer restricted to one human body. Like if I could get Jesus with me, then he's not going to be with you because I'm going over here. You can't both be with me all the time, right? He, he's got one body, but he can send his spirit and his spirit can indwell every believer and be with all of his people everywhere around the world for all the centuries of time until he comes back, right? That's the reason why it's better. In John 14, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And that, of course, is what we see being inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2 where God pours out his spirit on his people. He begins the new church age. And the Bible says that now all who surrender their lives to him in faith, they receive the indwelling presence of God by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who forges this real living bond of real belonging with God the Father through God the Son and, and his people. You see, the only thing better than being with Jesus is having Jesus within us wherever we go. Now, I need to remind you, we've talked about this before, there is no doubt mystery here. If your head is spinning right now, you're in good company. That means you're, you're actually understanding the magnitude somewhat of this. We cannot fully explain it. The only reason actually we, we know this is true is because the scriptures tell us. And so we embrace this truth by faith, even if we don't understand all of it, even if we, we, we find it exceeding the capacity of our minds, but we believe it, receive it, because God has revealed it to us. Jesus dwells in his people by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may be here today. Truth is, you would say, I'm not a Christ follower. Uh, we are glad you're here. Um, and if you are not a Christ follower, here's what I know you're thinking. You're thinking, what? This is crazy. And honestly, I agree with you. Because everybody says that before they give their lives to Jesus. And after they give their lives to Jesus, then it's like, well, yeah, I, I can't explain it, but I know it's true. And I could bring up one person after another after another right now and ask this question and get this answer. You would all say the same thing. You would all say, well, it was sort of like blinders were removed from my eyes and everything changed. And I suddenly had these new desires and I wanted to know more about God. And I wanted to walk with Jesus and I wanted to read God's word and I wanted to be with, with God's people. And that's exactly what happens. And it's because the Holy Spirit has come to live with you. It's because you are now united with Christ. Let's think about this. This is telling us that the same Jesus who overcame Satan, 
who resisted and conquered every temptation, who lived a perfect life for you, is now in you, Christian, by the Holy Spirit. The same Jesus who had compassion on the crowds and healed the sick and the blind and the lame and the outcasts, he now dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. The same Jesus who shattered racial barriers with his life and with his teaching and with his love now dwells within you by the Holy Spirit. The same Jesus who humbled himself to death on the cross, who loved you to the end, now dwells within you by the Holy Spirit. And the same Jesus who was raised to new life who is now today sitting, the Bible says, at the right hand of the Father on the throne of glory. That Jesus is in you by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what we're talking about here? And if you do, you begin to realize the resources that are ours right now. Jesus is not just uh, with you. He is within you. He is within you. Now, maybe you're hearing all this and you're wondering... Well, how do I know that? Well, this promise is for anyone who by faith receives Jesus. But how do we we see that in our lives? And that's this question I next want to talk about. How does the Holy Spirit's indwelling change us? Uh, What are the evidences, maybe you might say, of the Spirit dwelling within me? Let me give you four primary evidences real quickly. Uh, Again, you can write these down, think about them, talk about them in your life groups later on. But first, when the Spirit indwells someone, there's always a new trust in Jesus. See, the Bible teaches that the fact that you have a living trust in Jesus to forgive your sins and bring you into a relationship of belonging in him, even imperfectly, that trust is evidence that he is in you. Because left to ourselves, we would never on our own choose Jesus and follow him. John six forty four, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we can't come to Jesus in our own strength because on our own we will never choose him and therefore the Father must draw us to him. And how does he do that? Well, the Bible says he does it by the Spirit. And so when we have this trust in Jesus, even if it's not perfect, this is evidence of the presence of the Spirit uh, within us. The Spirit comes and he convicts us of sins and he uh, opens our eyes and our hearts so that we see the reality of our Savior in Jesus. That's why he says this in, in John 16, 8. And when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Has this been the case for any of you when you became a Christian, like a new Christ follower? You look around one day and you find yourself wondering, why do I feel more guilty now? All right, I heard that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're thinking, I, I, could, I used to be able to do this and say that and go there, and it was like, fine. And now, now I feel guilty. Why? It's because of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. He's saying, don't go that way. Don't do that. There's danger there. That will hurt you. That will destroy you. Walk in these paths, not those paths. The Spirit is in you. And this also means if you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. If you're a person who says, well, I don't really have a heartfelt trust in Jesus. 
Maybe even you're someone who comes to church and yet in your life, day after day, you are content marginalizing God. You're never really convicted of sin. Your life is really, truly, honestly all about you. Then you should doubt whether or not you know Jesus, whether or not the spirit is in you because there will be this new trust. The second evidence is new desires. Galatians 5, 17, uh, Paul says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And, and he's just telling us outside of Jesus, we only live by the desires of the flesh uh, because the flesh desires to please itself and help itself and comfort itself and live for itself. The flesh is, as Martin Luther used to uh, say, in curva to say it's bent on, on, on itself. It's all about self. But when we were tr- trust in Jesus, we receive the spirit and we get new desires. Did you notice it's interesting that Paul says here, the spirit has desires. The spirit desires Jesus and Jesus ways that when the spirit indwells his people, he not only causes us to recognize our sin, he causes us to want Jesus to have new desires. And and that's what creates the conflict we were talking about. We have these uh, fleshly desires that we've always lived with, but now we have these deeper spirit forged desires. And, And so really walking with Jesus and walking by the spirit is about learning how to listen to the spirit and his new desires and then to live those out. And again, when you have that conflict between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit, That is a sign that the spirit is within you. A third evidence that the spirit is within us is new fruit. In Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23, Paul talks about what is known as the fruit of the spirit. And he says, this is what becomes true of those people in whom the spirit dwells. They start uh, manifesting more in their lives, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When the spirit is in you, that's what starts to show up. Not perfectly, not all at once, but there will be a trajectory of growth there because the spirit is directing our attention to Jesus and he's convicting us of our sins. So we leave the sin behind and we move closer to Jesus and our life becomes like faith and repentance, faith and repentance. And so we, we grow in these areas as we are desiring Jesus more, we experience more and more of his fruit. And of course, we will fail sometimes, of course, We will stumble sometimes, but we know where grace is. And so we go back and we receive forgiveness and we get up and we move on and we press in and we follow and this results in spiritual fruit. And then uh, fourth evidence is we get new gifts, new gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Paul describes the gifts of the spirit. This is not just a whole nother sermon. This is like a whole nother series. Um, uh, we talk about this in our Discovery 301 class. Some of you have been there for that. But sometimes these spiritual gifts are brand new desires or aptitudes we didn't have before. Sometimes God takes what is a natural gift and he, he enriches and deepens it. It works different ways for different people. These gifts come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Um, they are for 
not our glory, but for the benefit of the church. Um, and the primary way that we discover our gifts, if you've ever wondered about that, is you just get out and you start serving and you start loving people and you start getting involved in ministry. And as you do that, God will show you what he's put in you. Now, I ran over that really fast because I have to tell you, I'm looking at what's here. Y'all are listening way, way too slowly today. Um, it's a new year. You need to get better at that. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying. So uh, just joking if you're new here. Um, <laughs> the people laughing have heard that one before. Um, so the question really about all of this is not do I have the Spirit, but does the Spirit have me do I desire him in his ways? Is there fruit in my life that points to Jesus? Am I using the gifts that he's given me to help build up his people? Again, to be in Christ, uh, to be a Christian is to be in Christ, and it means Christ is to in you. And you have this new identity, as we've talked about before, in Christ. You have this new status with new access, like you're a child of God, and you can go straight to God. You have this new presence within you. That's the Holy Spirit. And so no matter what is happening in your life, God is with you and God can help you and God can comfort you and God can encourage you. He's always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You are united to Christ and it's the Holy Spirit's indwelling that makes this a reality. And so having said all of that, I'm gonna spend the rest of our time um, talking about how we know that we're living out our union with Christ, How do I live my union with Christ out? And maybe you're hearing all this stuff I'm talking about and you're thinking, man, that all sounds amazing. But my experience in my life of this so far, it's so far from what you've been talking about. It kind of makes it hard to believe. Now, here's what you need to know. And I need you to really focus uh, for a minute or two, when we say that, what we're talking about and what people often get confused about is the difference between our union and our communion. Now, maybe you've never heard these words used like this before. That's fine. I think you're going to get what I'm saying. We're talking about the difference between our union and our communion. Let me review. Our union with Jesus is this relationship of personal and profound belonging with God. It's in Christ. And that union, Paul tells us, we've seen it is permanent. It never changes. That union is an objective reality. And our communion is how we experience this union in our daily lives. In other words, I live out my union with Christ through my communion with Christ. And here's the thing you need to know about communion. Our union with Christ is objective and it never changes. But our communion, that's a, our subjective experience of our relationship with God. Our communion does change. And all God's people said, right? It, it goes up and down. It rises and falls sometimes. And one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in following Jesus is when we confuse our communion with our union. And what happens when we do this is we start basing our confidence before God on how we're doing at any moment of any given day. Anybody ever done that? Just like you look at your life and what you just said, what you just did, and you think, I'm a terrible Christian. And you, you have a hard time believing that God would actually love you. 
Well, what we're hearing here and what Paul is, gonna, is telling us, what the Bible tells us is that that's what communion is about. That's not our union. And so we must not, if you write this down, confuse our communion with our union. And I'll just tell you as a pastor for a lot of years, so many of my counseling sessions with people ultimately just boil down to someone who's basing the quality of their relationship with God and how close they feel to God gauged on their level of obedience, right? So for instance, let's just say it's this week, maybe tomorrow morning, your alarm goes off and 5.30 and you spend time in God's word and you pray and you maybe you spend a few moments because it's the beginning of the week memorizing some verses. It's so good. You're just feeling good. You get on the road early and, and like there's no traffic on the Altamont and, and you get to work so early you can make coffee for the whole office, like serve the people that are there. And, and later on that day, like at lunch, you have this non-awkward conversation with a coworker, and you share the gospel with them. They like seem genuinely interested. And by the end of the day, you get home and you're thinking, this is amazing. And though we would never say that probably out loud, we feel like God must really love me today, right? But then the next day, your alarm goes off and you don't hear it or you hit the snooze button so many times that when you finally get up, you have to skip your shower, throw on your clothes. You're snapping at your wife and your kids on the way out the door. You get on the road and the road is all jammed up on the Altamont because some Raider fan was texting on their phone <laughs> and they rear-ended someone and there's an accident and you're later than you were and you finally get to work and you end up so frustrated, you know, or you're not getting to work. You're still driving. You're so late. You get so frustrated. Someone slides into your lane a little too closely and it really makes you mad. You kind of flip into road rage. You're doing stuff, you know, you're, you're sending signals to him with too few fingers. And, <laughs> and then, you, then you realize that was the coworker you shared the gospel with yesterday. <laughs> And you're like, what is wrong with me? What, what kind of Christian am I? And this is how many people experience following Jesus, right? See, we base our objective standing with God union on our subjective daily experience communion. And that will lead to discouragement. That will lead to spiritual depression. That will lead some of us to walking away from the faith because we just give up. It never works. Here's the key to following Jesus. Live securely out of your objective, unchanging union with him. He wants you to know his love and grace towards you always. You're his adopted son, his adopted daughter. That's never going to change. You are forever united to Jesus. You are forever united to him. You see... It's important to understand that while our union is entirely Jesus' work, we participate in our communion with him. So there are some things that in our daily living out of what God has done for us, there are some principles we need to grasp and, and, and some things that we need to do. You know? and, and again, your, your new life with God is all grace. And yet once we enter into this relationship by grace, we must participate in it, just like any other relationship, right? John Calvin wrote, uh, let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us. 
Labor and feel. You see, hear that? John Owen said, labor, therefore, to fill your hearts with the cross of Christ. Jonathan Edwards said, we should labor to be continually growing in divine love. And some of us think, well, labor doesn't sound like what it means to follow Jesus. And yet the Bible talks about it all the time. We're not laboring to achieve God's love. We're laboring to enjoy what Jesus has already achieved for us. And what some of us think we just kind of sit around passively waiting for Jesus to kind of light our hearts on fire. And when he doesn't, we feel like it's not working. We feel dry. And when we feel spiritually dry, we blame other people, you know, for our dryness. We blame the church. We blame the pastor. We blame our friends. We blame circumstances. Some of us even maybe blame God. Well, let me encourage you to think about this or challenge you. Maybe the reason you're dry is you're not laboring. You're not laboring to enjoy uh, what Jesus has already achieved for us. Now, there may be other reasons why you struggle and why you don't always feel that union with Christ. But we need to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes there are some things we're, we're not doing or things we are doing that causes that. If you want a picture, this will resonate with some of you. Communion with God is kind of like sailing, Okay. If you never raise the sails of your heart, you're never going to catch the wind of the Spirit. And the only way to catch the wind is to raise the sail. Now, just because you raise the sail doesn't mean you catch the wind every time the way you might hope. But never raising the sail means you never catch any wind. So we need to put the, the, the sail up. And I want to give you five diagnostic questions uh, really quickly as we close uh, five diagnostic questions that I think can help us. Here's the first one. Ask yourself, what do you treasure? I mean, just to be honest with yourself, what do you treasure? What is your heart's treasure? What are you really after? And, and, and here's what I'm asking you to consider. Are you pursuing Jesus for Jesus? Or are you pursuing Jesus for what Jesus can do for you? Are you in relationship with Jesus so he'll make you sober? Are you in relationship with Jesus so he'll fix your marriage which is failing? Are you in relationship with Jesus so he'll help your career? Are you in relationship with Jesus so you'll prosper financially? This list of questions could go on and on and on. And here's the, here's the truth, okay? Let's just be honest with ourselves. I think every one of us in this room at one time or another probably was pursuing a relationship with Jesus for one of these reasons or something else like them. Can we just all say amen and get it off our chest? It's just, it's just something that happens. And, and unless Jesus is your true goal, we're never going to know the, 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 the beauty and the joy of the sails of our hearts being raised and God filling them with the Spirit's wind and we commune with him. So maybe today you should ask yourself, is Jesus what my heart is really after? Am I just using God to get what my heart really wants? Second question is, who do you trust? Who are you really trusting? He, Hebrews eleven six 6 has these profound words. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, faith is this living trust. 
And, and faith does activate the power of God in, in our lives. And I think we all get that, right? Just think of your human relationships. The, the best relationships you have with other people are relationships of trust. I mean, some of you honestly, I don't know if God just put this on my heart, but some of you are here maybe today. And the reason you're here is someone has broken trust with you in a profound way. And you're, you're experiencing whatever that could be, might be, you're experiencing the pain of what it means to have trust broken. This is what we're talking about with God. We want to have a trust, a living trust in him. And if we're not really trusting him, but we're not really believing that he is who he says he is, then we're not going to feel close to him. You know, are we trusting that he loves us as much as he says he loves us? Are we trusting that we are his adopted sons and daughters Are we trusting that we really do belong to him, whether we feel like it one day or not? See, our living personal trust activates the power of God in our lives. I mean, and again, I could give you multiple illustrations, but I'll just think of a, if you had a hundred dollar bill in your pocket, right? What's required to activate the reality is a hundred dollars. Well, fundamentally trust. You have to trust that that piece of paper really has a value of $100 given to it by the government. And it's only if you trust that that's a reality that it's going to matter. But then you actually have to put it into practice, right? Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. And you should give me the $100 bills because I do believe. (laughs) See, there are unsearchable riches found in Jesus, whether you believe it or not. But you only experience them, communion, as you trust in him. Third, where is your loyalty? This is a question about the reality of of sin in our lives because the reality is that the essence of sin is not about breaking rules. It's about breaking relationships. And therefore, it's a declaration of, of loyalty. And so ongoing habitual sin in our lives will always disrupt our relationship, the experience of our relationship with God Because when we sin, we choose sides. And when we sin habitually, we're demonstrating that our our allegiance and our loyalties are not with the Father who gave his Son and who gives us his Spirit so that we can be with him forever. Our allegiances are somewhere else. And again, we know that. That's how it is in human relationships. If somebody continually breaks your trust, it's very difficult to have loyalty toward them. And I'm talking here about people who say they love God, but they don't want to live the way God calls them to live. If that's where you are, this should raise all kinds of questions for you. See, this is about our communion with God. And of course, we all stumble, we all fall, sometimes seriously, no doubt. But when we do, we repent and we're drawn back into God's presence and that communion gets restored. The fourth uh, uh, question is, how are you living? And I won't, won't spend much time here, but this is really about just some real practical daily choices. If, you, if, if you're not getting rest and you're always going to be tired, right? And that's going to affect your spiritual life. You're going to feel that in your communion with God because you're not treating the body that God gave you the way that you should 
You know, if you're eating poorly and if you're never exercising, I mean, just some basic things of life. If you're living the way so many of us live, these crazy, scattered, hectic, news streaming, social media streaming lives, we just lose the the ability to focus on Jesus. How many of you are like way better at doing this than you are at doing this? Just reading God's word. Maybe we should do less of this and do more of this. Because the choices we make, they affect our communion with him. Last, how are you cultivating your communion? Now, I'm speaking here about uh, what theologians call means of grace. And I don't know if you've heard this term before or not, but uh, you understand it. The means of grace are really the primary ways that we actually in our lives raise the sails of our heart to catch the wind of the spirit. And we do this day by day. We do it a step at a time. And uh, when we don't practice the means of grace, it's like being at boat, <laughs> being in a boat at sea with our sails down. Even if the wind is blowing, we don't catch it. And, and by themselves, the means of grace, they don't change us. Only God changes us. But they put us in the place, means of grace do, where God can work in our lives and change. You say, what are the means of grace? Well, things like reading God's word, spending time with God in prayer, making it a priority to come to worship. Some of us have no idea how we damage our spiritual lives because we are so casual about our commitment to gather with God's people. And if you feel like, oh, now you're getting legalistic, pastor, you're who I'm talking to. It's for your benefit. This is for your good, to be in the presence of God's people. I wish I could tell you sometimes how much my heart is encouraged when I'm over here in this corner and I'm kind of looking across the uh, part of the, the congregation as we're singing and I just see some of you pouring your hearts out to God and I just, I'm encouraged to see that I know God is working and I, I experience your encouragement in so many ways. You bless me. I have to be here for that. You understand? This means of, uh, of grace you know, uh, reading God's word, meditating on God's word, praying, worshiping, getting together in life groups, you know, having, doing life together. All of these things are the way we, we experience God's grace. And these things are hard. They don't always work the way we hope they will. You need to understand means of grace all takes practice. But that's okay, because so does sailing. You have to learn how to sail. And the good news is we have time. We're not in a hurry. God's grace is always blowing. It's always there for us. And you know, one of the reasons some of us get so exhausted, it's like we're standing up in the boat and we've got the sails raised and we're blowing on the sails ourselves, trying to make the boat move. That's called hyperventilating, okay, in case you haven't experienced it yet. It doesn't work. And you just need to hear again, will you hear again? Jesus is in you. He's in you by his spirit. You have his life and his power. It is in you. 
whether you feel like it or not, if you have united yourself to him by his grace in faith and you can live in that power, but you've got to raise the sails. You've got to put yourself in a place where you can experience what God is doing, where you can know that he is for you and with you and he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you until the day that he brings you home. That's enough for today. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, I just want to say again to each one of us, all the deepest relational longings of our heart, they're most satisfied in Jesus because he made us for him. And if you're If you're not a follower of Christ today, Jesus is calling you right now by his spirit to run to him by faith, to surrender to him, to stop fighting him, to get off the throne of your heart, to bow before Jesus, the true king. And I'm telling you on his basis of his word, he will forgive you and he will forge with you a relationship of deep and profound belonging. He will unite your life to his and you can know union with Christ and if you're a Christian today I just want to encourage you live into the reality of what God has already done in you Jesus for those who have your spirit in this room right now I know your spirit is wooing them closer to you perhaps convicting of sin perhaps highlighting idols, things that we love more, desire more. And I pray, Lord, you would encourage them by that, even if it's painful in the moment. Lord, I pray that we would long for you to know you. And and Lord, where maybe we have confused our union with our communion, that we we would settle into the reality that in Christ, we have been united to the life of the, of the God, the Godhead, the, the divine Father, Son, Spirit. And this is objective and it never changes when you give it to us. And it's out of the overflow of that, Lord, that we ask that we would live into our communion with you, that we would raise the sails. Lord, we need your grace. We need your strength. Help us to just catch the wind of your mercy and your love. We ask that you would take us, Lord, where you want us to go. You are our God and you are so good. And Lord, we love you and we want you and we want others to know you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people together said.